everybody, welcome to Terran and Andrew versus the Scarecrow video movie guide. Uh, I'm Andrew. I Tara? <laughs> she Tara. <laughs> I was taking a note from the Okay. That sounded like you said. Did I say I? I Andrew. <laughs> Me. Me Anne. Okay, I, f I feel like I got that M in there in I'm, yeah. but uh, I might not have enunciated it clearly oh. enough. Interesting. In Interesting. <laughs> okay. It's not that interesting. Um, so th this is a podcast where we normally would select a movie at random from the Scarecrow video movie guide. Uh, we're trying to get back into the... The swing of things. The swing of things, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so we're not going to be picking a movie at random from the guide this week, but uh, we did still want to put something out. And so we figured what better time to talk about spooky movies than like five or six days after halloween just very timely Ooh. <laughs> yeah. uh anyways uh what, what do you know you gotta ramp up for the spookiest holiday like what's that what's the next five days in july okay. um uh, well november 11th remembrance day is coming up okay Rem yeah remembrance remembrance day. day what's scarier than remembering all the things that uh happened in world war one and uh, okay, not just all the mistakes you've made and all. <laughs> so we wanted to put something out. It's been a few weeks, so uh, we we were gonna talk about horror movies, uh, our favorite, and uh, some of the movies that we have liked a whole lot. Just uh, yeah, so a little different from a regular episode, but deal with it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna talk about a, a few different movies. Uh, we wanted to, I guess, start off by talking about a couple of our favorite classic movies i say doing air quotes did you want to start thinking of classic horror i personally had to go with nosferatu as my pick okay and the end the end <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen nosferatu but it's it's been a while so yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about why well i guess should i describe it a little bit a little bit maybe um, yeah so for if you're not if you're not familiar with Nosferatu, um, that's really unfortunate because it's a really classic horror film that's had a lot of influence. It's kind of an interesting story. It's essentially based off of Dracula, um, but they didn't have the rights to Dracula, so some of the character names are different, and some of the you know there's some little differences between. Nosferatu and the traditional Dracula story that people might be familiar with. So that already is kind of interesting. One thing that makes Nosferatu really unique is that their vampire is absolutely hideous. Yeah. Like, they make no bones about it. Like, this guy's a monster. Yeah, it's no sexy, I don't know, fucking Twilight-era vampire. Yeah, it's screw that. So... Count Orlock is the name of the vampire in this movie, and he's creepy as shit. There are some, like, really visceral shots in the movie, like, just, that just can send chills up your spine for something that was made in 1921. It's remarkably it's a spooky. Movie. Yeah, it's yeah. a silent movie, and the, the guy playing Count Orlock is pretty creepy. They, yes. For a movie that old, you wouldn't think that you'd be able to get creeped out by, by something, but it... It has its moments. And, sure. and and just like how um, ingenious I think the techniques used were. Um, I think they did a really great job. Like the scene of Orlock's shadow climbing up the mm -hmm. stairs. Yeah. Um, there's a scene of him just like coming up from his coffin from a laying state. 
just like raising up out of the coffin and all that. So it's so images that are kind of seminal, I want to say, like yes. in vampire lore. Yeah, very seminal. Like definitely an iconic work. Visually, not only have you got these iconic scenes or shots, it's also kind of got this like interesting dreamlike quality to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a movie I, you know, I've seen many times growing up. I even had a Nosferatu t-shirt back in high school that I loved to wear as much as I could. And um, just the idea of the vampire being this actual monster. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's just like, it's just a really creepy movie. It's just like super duper creepy. Yeah. We had this really funny version for a long time with this metal soundtrack. It worked really well with it in a lot of ways, but also like... Helped make it not quite as scary to sit and watch it, because it, it kind of brought it a little bit of levity. Right. This one song um, has a line in it, and now you die. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, that reminds me of like the time, but I, I hadn't seen Metropolis until yeah. we had started dating, and I <laughs> pirated a copy of it. <laughs> uh, and the copy that I pirated was like super fucked up, like it was just like a really bad rip, so it looked really distorted, and then it had the... Giorgio Moroder score, like the super synthy, weird score on top of that. So yeah. it was like super, super trippy. So it's always really uh, interesting to see like how people kind of... How you juxtapose like this older film with like more contemporary music. Yeah. I always think that's kind of an interesting exercise in like seeing what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be done really, really well. In a lot of cases, that sort of thing probably doesn't work so well. But I think... It's something that should be explored more. Yeah. Like, I think there should be a lot more contemporary soundtracks done for some of these classic films. I think that'd be a really cool project. You get... Uh, that I have no money to, to <laughs> sponsor. But other but people should other do people it. should do it, you yeah. know. Something else that I think is really cool about Nosferatu uh, is they actually shot a lot of it on scene in Transylvania. They went to Slovakia and different places. So, like, they didn't do that in Dracula. In fact, that like sound stages. Oh my god, Dracula! I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I've got a fond spot for Dracula, the Bela Lugosi version from 1932, but it's got nothing on Nosferatu. Yeah, it's more a comedy. If you, if you look at the two, yeah, it's, it's night and day. I feel like that is kind of true of a lot of the Universal movies. Maybe yes, they're not scary. No, I never found them scary. Like they're kind of entertaining. Like I really liked the Mummy growing up. And I remember liking Frankenstein meets the Wolfman when we watched it. Yeah, the, that was entertaining. Like the very first episode, but it, but it wasn't scary. Or... No, not at all. Yeah. But but Nosferatu is just like it's viscerally scary. It's you know amazing something that's nearly a hundred years old. Can still pack a punch. Yeah. Yeah. So one interesting piece of vampire lore um, actually comes directly from Nosferatu, which is. The idea that vampires burn when they are under direct sunlight. So if it was not for Nosferatu, we wouldn't necessarily have ever decided but that's that a... vampires burn in the sunlight. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Thank you, Nosferatu. Yes. A good choice. A good pick, I Yeah, would say. well, good luck trying to edit that because <laughs> okay. I think we're all over the place. Yeah, well, we, we always do that anyway, so that's fine. Um, let's see. There. there you go. There's there one. There we go. Has to be cut out. The one last thing I wanted to say about Nosferatu is um, Shadow of the Vampire. Yes, I was going to... So there's also like this really good movie from the early 2000s called Shadow of the Vampire. 
So this film is based on the making of Nosferatu and they take the tack that the actor who plays Count Orlok, Max Schreck, is actually a vampire. So it's pretty entertaining. Like the idea of this filmmaker willing to risk everything to make this film using an actual vampire and like sacrificing the lead actress and it's pretty funny. So it's got John Malkovich and Eddie Izzard and Willem Dafoe. Uh, so check it out. My classic uh, pick for classic horror. It doesn't really hold that same kind of weight to it, historical importance, but it's one... It, I'm, I'm picking the first movie in the series because uh, it makes sense to pick that, and I think it really is probably the best of them in a sense. Uh, I'm talking about Friday the 13th, obviously. Obviously. No, no I'm not talking about Friday the 13th. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about uh, Phantasm, which is a, uh, I guess, quintology now, a five-part uh, series of movies, and the are kind of centered around the idea that there is this incredibly tall, creepy guy who runs a, I guess, cemetery and mortuary combined, um, and he is sucking the life out of towns, like murdering their residents and then turning them into evil little dwarf-like creatures, and uh, he comes from this alternate dimension. And in, in the first movie, it kind of focuses by having this this kid michael um and his brother jody who are orphaned and living on their own and i'm not entirely sure if it says like how their parents are killed but michael like realizes that there's something up with this this tall guy like he is this insidious character who is behind a lot of suspicious activity and deaths in the town and so he enlists their friend reggie who is an ice cream man. Ice cream man. This balding ice cream man in his, I'd say, at least 40s in the first movie. Yeah. Um, He's much older than Mike and Jody. Yeah. And it's like, how did he get to become friends with them? And he, the, the first movie is like very 80s in its sensibilities, I would say, just because mm-hmm. like there's a, their hairstyles especially are very, very 80s. Very dated. Uh, yeah. But they are trying to figure out what is going on with this guy. And um, in addition to this tall man turning people into dwarves, he also has these silver spheres that fly around and sometimes like blades come out of them. Blades and... come out of them, yeah. Drills come out of them yeah. in, in later movies. Sometimes they just like bore right through people's skulls, and um, and so that's what really appealed to me as a young young lad, uh, seeing the the cardboard standout for Phantasm Two, like in the movie theater. I think it was when my mom's friend Julia was taking me to go see Critters 2 that I saw the standout. Another uh, excellent, excellent uh, series, Critters, as I think we've mentioned before. Yep. But, yep. Um, yeah, the, the cardboard standout was just of the, the tall man, uh, Angus Scrim, like standing imposingly and holding out one of the, the silver spheres with like the blades coming out of it. And, and like as an eight year old, I saw that and I'm like, oh shit, that looks, that looks awesome. The second and third movies are pretty good. I, you know, honestly, I would say, like, the first four movies all have their moments. Like, the second one is more of, like, an action horror movie, um, which was kind of the, the norm for back in the, the mid-80s, I think. But, like, each movie really feels like a product of its era, so they're they're interesting in that regard. And 
the movies are spread out over the course of like 25 years or so i want to say like the fifth one came out in 2015 or 2016 2016 okay yep so uh, 79 to 2016. Okay, so it's a long, long-spanning series. And the fifth one is not good at all. Like, I am sad that it's kind of very likely going to be the last movie in the series. Because it, it sucked, and I, I didn't make Tara watch it. Because I think you're not a huge fan of the Phantasm I, series. Well, I think it's harder for me just because with you having been exposed to it from such a, a young age, yeah. like, it, it, I think sometimes movies are able to sink their hooks into you in ways in childhood that it's a lot harder to come around to as yeah, an adult. Yeah. yeah. And there are some of the, some of the things that don't get explored in the movies, like that whole, like the explanation of why is this even happening? Yeah. Like, like to me, it's, it's hard to, you know, I've got an appreciation for it and mm-hmm. I, I think they're entertaining, but I, you know, I've never particularly found them spooky. They're, you know, a little yeah. bit gory. Yeah. A little comedic. Right. Um, and. God, Reggie, like, he's oh, Reggie. constantly, like, trying to hook up with women. And he is successful with that to some extent. And it's like, how? Like, I mean, no offense to, right. to, like, to the actor playing Reggie. But don't know that uh, that is a accurate depiction of what would happen in real life and you know from what i've described so far you know that the phantasm movies are really like trying to adhere to realism in there so he was like in his mid-30s i just confirmed reggie was in his okay mid-30s wow when the first movie was made that's rough because i'm in my late 30s and i feel like i look much younger than yes i agree he does in the first movie so he's Uh, so the actor is currently 73 years old wow and then for perspective, the guy who plays Michael, or, uh, sorry, the guy who played, yeah. Yeah, the guy who, the kid who, who played Michael, uh, is 55. Okay. So. Yeah. Like, almost 20 year age difference there. Yeah. And. Yeah. It's. So it's weird when the two of them, like, buddy up and, like, go on this road trip mm-hmm. <laughs> later. Right. I mean, I think they... Later they on of, in the series. They, they established that, like, Reggie is more friends with his br- older brother, Jody, than yeah. he is with Michael, but uh, still, yeah, still kind of weird. Still, like, Jody, you know, Jody's supposed to be, I think, in his early 20s or yeah. something, and, yeah. you know... Who knows? You know, who... It's weird. I, I don't know how I went so long without having heard of Phantasm. Like, I never... Yeah, knew it, it existed it, it's kind until of, I met Andrew. Yeah, it's it's a, a very cult, classic-y series. So it's something that I hold close to my heart, as corny as it is to say that, you know, warts and all. So that that's my my pick for uh, favorite classic. Fair enough. Horror. And uh, then we also wanted to kind of talk about movies that were not. Maybe not so much like I'm, I guess up to you if it falls into the classic category or not. But but movies that had really a major impact on us in our childhood, like yeah. a horror film that really was just like really integral to informing our love of horror movies. Yeah, yeah, 
And when I mentioned that we would do that, and like, and I'm gonna pick Creep Show, and you're like, shit. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but I'm gonna pick Creep Show. <laughs> so I think we kind of came to the conclusion that we'll just have to both pick Creep Show and have that be our formative horror movie. And the thing is, like, there are other there are other films that um, you know I could say were also really integral, but I think Creep Show just has like it, it's kind of just like edged out all the other ones. Like Carrie Combs, pretty close. Like mm-hmm. I watched that one so many times growing up too and just like just having this reaction against religion like i don't know how much of it comes from carrie and just like how creepy her mom was mm-hmm. i don't know yeah but any case like it was a close contender it was a very close contender but um i really really have to go with creep show creep show was probably the first horror movie that i ever saw like a I can thank my Uncle Bob and Aunt Wendy for uh, exposing me to horror movies at a very young, impressionable age. And I feel like that, if not the first, was one of the first. And it is kind of what whet my appetite for horror. And it's what has made it so I cannot eat Wheaties without <laughs> yeah. cringing. Yeah, so Creepshow, if you're not familiar with it, <laughs> is like a, a horror anthology series. And it's uh, a, a joint production of uh, George Romero and Stephen King. There's five stories in it, and kind of a, like a loose wraparound um, thing tying everything together, but at least kind of pro- providing bookends for the movie. Starring Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, who is a horror author now in, in his, his own right. Yeah. And you should check out Joe Hill if you haven't yet. Yes. Um, Lock and Key is a very excellent comic series that he did, uh, so that's a good place to start with him. You want to, we'll just want to run down some of the stories yeah, well, I guess, should we just start chronologically? Yeah. So the first one, I think, is just so amazing. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to go wrong with any of them, to be mm-hmm. honest, but this one is just, like, really <laughs> special in the way that it, it mixes the great campy horror and, and comedic bits and, and whatever um, in such a, a great way. But it it's uh, Father's Day, and it has... Ed Harris in this great backing role as like the doofy husband of this like entitled you know rich heiress or whatever and she and her prissy brother are going over to their aunt's house for Easter dinner and they're waiting for great aunt Bedelia to show up and it's like she always comes goes to her dad's grave um, there's this whole great backstory about like her killing her father, and so her father is basically trying to get revenge on her for killing him, and he ends up like taking out almost the entire family, uh, coming and- back for his father's date cake. He's just like so gross, and he's got this like the way he speaks, where it's all clogged with all these like fluids and everything. It's like so gross. Yeah. And each of the stories kind of ends on a, like, uh, twist to an extent, so we can't really talk about them in too much detail because they're all relatively short as well. Yeah. Yeah, Father's Day. Uh, the, the next one is The Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill. And uh, it stars Stephen King in a breakout role, just a phenomenal performance <laughs> by, by him. But, you know, like, he's this bumpkin living in Maine out in the, the, the sticks, and uh, a meteor falls from the sky, and he 
becomes uh, convinced that he's going to get super rich from taking it to a university and selling it to the Department of Meteors, which he thinks is a thing. <laughs> Obviously, this guy is like super smart. Yeah, very, very smart. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, things don't end up working out quite that that well for Emmer in that fashion. And uh, he calls himself a, a lunkhead a whole lot. Like, you lunkhead. Yeah. So, uh, Stephen King. Why, why didn't he get more acting jobs after that? I don't know, but... There's a lot of meteor there's shit. There's a lot of meteor shit, that's what I was going to say, yeah, uh, that he has to contend with. And uh, to say much more than that, it kind of ruins the, yep. the whole uh, story, pretty much. But it, it's uh, it, it's pretty funny. It, it, is, it is pretty funny. The next uh, story in the anthology is Something to Tide You Over. And this one's got Ted Danson and Leslie Nielsen... Um, vying over the love of one woman. Yeah. Kind of. So Leslie Nielsen is married to this woman, Becky, and he finds out that she's been having an affair with Ted Danson. So Leslie Nielsen is upset, but not from any feelings of love or, or jealousy of that, like coming from love. Right. But jealousy in terms of Becky is a piece of his property and nobody is allowed to take any of his property. Yeah. So, um... It's, it's really, uh, for Leslie Nielsen, like, if you're familiar with it, him from, like, the Naked Gun series, like, seeing that, it's a really villainous turn that oh, he, yeah. he plays in this, and so it's really kind of uh, amazing to see him play such a creep so, so well. Yeah. So, essentially, Nielsen's trying to get revenge on both Becky and Ted Danson's characters, and things end up... You know, there's there's a twist, as uh, we keep saying. There, yeah, there's. So, they're at the seaside. Yeah, just imagine, you know, getting buried in sand in a non-playful, fun kind yeah. of way, and that kind of gives you an idea of. There's this really great part in the score uh, that always sounds to us like a really dark version of Camtown Races. <laughs> yeah. So look out for that. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> high point, an unintentional high point on the filmmakers' parts. <laughs> The next uh, story in the movie is uh, The Crate. And I feel like this one is maybe my, my least favorite of the four. Cause yeah. Because it lasts a long time. It's it a seems, very long time. It seems to drag on. But um, it deals with, like, a, I think I want to say archaeological discovery of, like, some kind of monster that at a university. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily archaeological. It's like there was an Antarctic expedition. Yeah, okay. And they found this creature and crated it up. Yeah. That's a better, yeah, more accurate description. So, it, there's a, a monster in a crate, and uh, it is something that one of the professors at the university who has a, what, what he feels to be a very kind of horrible wife, for us at least, she was kind of uh, entertaining. It's Adrian Barbeau. That, yeah, Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, she is a, a little bit awful. She's brash. She's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she does talk down to him a lot. Yeah. Um, and she likes to get drunk and speak her mind, you know, and I think that's where it's, it's like so weird. The, the idea that her husband didn't know this about her and then he's like, Oh, I want her to be this like really well-behaved society woman who can go with me to university functions. Like, what were you thinking? You idiot. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like he's very meek and mild mannered and she is the uh, kind of polar opposite of that and oh yeah cussing up a storm yeah yeah you knew what you were getting into yeah guy but uh 
but apparently he didn't. Yeah, and uh, so there, there's uh, some monster-related murders that take place, and uh, it's uh, it's a little, maybe a little too long, but it's still it's still good, still entertaining. Yeah. yeah. What's that one called again? They're creeping up on you. They're creeping up on you. So we meet this real asshole, Upton Pratt, played by E.G. Marshall. And uh, he's this, I guess, stock tycoon or something. He's, he's like... He's super wealthy. He's, he's like super wealthy businessman. And he's got like his big, pristine condo in New York. And he's very demanding. And, and like you find out, he's just basically an awful guy who's, um, you know driving other people to suicide and and this sort of thing so he finds a cockroach in his apartment and is like what the hell he you know cannot abide by anything he's a total neat freak mm-hmm. he has like cans of lysol he's like got probably stock in lysol he uses so much of that shit and you know his place is like white and yeah he wears gloves to like clean everything and yeah some Howard Hughesian shit almost yeah yeah not, not as bad he's not not king. as not as bad but still pretty bad anyway. I was gonna say he's not king in Kleenex boxes but that's well... not that's not the right uh <laughs> <laughs> oh you know the most, you know the most famous thing the most famous uh trait that people know about Howard Hughes is how it used to pee in Kleenex boxes <laughs> um uh, is there anybody who pees in Kleenex I don't want to no, I don't want to know I, about this I was, yeah anyway yeah, so things uh, start from that point and, and get worse. Yeah, you know, with the with the uh, the old cockroaches. Yeah, and there's a scene that I still have a hard time just like watching. Yeah, the the end of that story particularly is yeah. pretty gnarly uh, for reasons that you can you can probably just extrapolate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's in uh, any case. It's gross. It's gross, yeah. And there, there's a scene where the, the Wheaties are infested with the, the roaches. Did you mention that already? Oh, I didn't. But, yeah. So, because of that... Ooh. Yeah. So, sorry, Wheaties. Sorry. I can't. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you weren't able to, like, pay the movie makers enough to keep Wheaties out of the movie. And that's how well, that scene... No, that... It, well, it isn't actually a box okay. of Wheaties. If I you see. look at the movie, it's, like, some generic... I see. But I've forever associated with Wheaties. Yeah. In my mind. Because it's, like, that sort of flake. It's not, like, a cornflake type of okay. cereal. Yeah. It's very clear. It's more, like, on the Wheaties end. Yeah. <sighs> Wheaties. So, yeah, Creepshow. Thumbs up. Th- thumbs up. Um, my, my mom and stepdad both watched it, I think, probably for the first time for both of them not too long ago. And they, they both liked it a whole lot. So it's, uh, it's parent approved also. Yeah. I think your dad probably likes creep show, right? Oh uh, yeah. So uh, it's, it's something fu- we've watched together many times. So yeah, yep. f- fun for the whole family. Fun for the whole family. If you are trying to get into horror movies, if you're a little uh, squeamish with horror movies, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some some like gross parts in it, but it's not too bad. But it's funny. It's funny. They all move pretty quickly for the most part. Yeah. So, um, yeah, really not a bad place to start. And I think probably one of the all-time strongest, if not the best, like horror anthology movie it's, of all, you know. Yeah, ever. it's got to be way up there. Yeah. Um. And pretty much don't fuck with the second one. 
Like, yeah, for the most part, you don't want to fuck with the second one. And there's a third one that's not even, like, it was basically cash-in, so yeah. I've not even seen, but I hear so it's pretty awful. So, ignore, ignore any sequels, just go for the original, yeah. and, and pretend that there are no other. Pretend there are no others, and you'll be good. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then, so, finally, I think we wanted to talk about a couple more movies, uh, each kind of branching out again with our own individual picks but for for more contemporary horror movies we wanted to talk about a couple so i wanted to talk about house of the devil which was the um directorial debut of ty west and it came out in 2009 yeah so it's this really great throwback to like 80s satanic panic and stylistically it's like spot on um yeah completely spot on the all the way start to finish just the from like the title credit sequence to just the aesthetic the total yeah the aesthetic all the way through is perfect um so it's based on this college student samantha who is kind of broke and she is trying desperately to move out of her college dorm her and her roommate could not be any more different samantha is very much like clean tidy studious and her roommate is like a total slob like bringing guys over all the time blah 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 so samantha is desperately trying to find ways to make money so she can rent her own place and she sees this babysitting ad that seems probably a little bit too good to be true where she could earn like hundreds of dollars yeah hundreds of dollars for a one night babysitting gig so essentially she decides to take on this babysitting job, shows up to this house out in the sticks. It's this older couple and they say, we owe you an apology. This job is not really for a kid. It's actually for my wife's mother who is older and just, you know, she has health issues and, you know, you probably won't have to do anything. You probably won't even know she's here, but we wanted to go out and see this eclipse tonight and... Uh, it just would make my wife feel much better to have somebody else in the house with her. And so, um, her friend Megan drives her to this babysitting gig and immediately is like, wait a minute, this is fucked up. But Samantha decides she's able to get a couple more hundred dollars out of them to do it. And so it's like enough to pay her first month's rent plus like all of her deposits yeah she kind of puts the screws to them yeah and she's like i can't turn this down i have to do it and so she takes this on the couple leaves and you know she thinks she's uh just doing a, a regular babysitting job in this huge house just hanging out it doesn't turn out to be the case uh surprisingly um, yeah surprisingly unsurprisingly yeah it's not that simple yeah and it, the the movie is like uh, a super slow burn like i think very slow burn it's not for everybody i think it, there is a contingent of people who do not like it very much because it's such a slow burn i think that's what like one of the things that we really appreciate about yeah. it is like you you know it, it really builds and builds slowly yeah. and then you get to this bonkers end sequence yeah like, that i think makes much more of an impact yeah, because it's taking its time to get there. Yeah. And it was more realistic. Yeah. You know that something is, is wrong, but, uh, you know... You... But you don't really understand exactly. Right, so you just have this kind of building unease as she's alone in this house, seemingly alone. Yeah. 
yeah it's it's really well done a really strong first movie for ty west and he hasn't done anything else that we've liked nearly as much so that's right. pretty unfortunate yeah i've heard his western is supposed to be pretty decent but okay um one thing i i wanted to add on that is really cool that i like that Ty West did with House of the Devil is they actually released it on VHS. Yeah. So Scarecrow has a copy of it on VHS, which is amazing. Very cool. Yeah. Like, they really went all in on on the early '80s aesthetic. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Yep. Um. So my pick for uh, contemporary horror, um, and when we say contemporary, we're saying like within the last maybe ten years or so. Yep. My pick is uh, Year Next. Which uh, also has Ty West in it in a very small role. Yeah. But um, it's about this wealthy family who are coming together for Thanksgiving dinner. Like, there's four kids. Uh-huh. I think. I think. And their significant others, and then, like, the mom and dad. And they're very rich and kind of, you know... It's dysfunctional. Yeah, they're... <laughs> yeah they're, I was going to say something that was going to be mildly insulting to the rich, but I was trying to choose my words carefully. But, but fuck it. They're, they're uh, dysfunctional is a very good way of putting yeah. it. And um, so the the story kind of focuses on uh, Crispin and his new girlfriend that he's bringing to meet the family for the first time. And he's like a college professor. And in the eyes of the rest of the family like he's really not living up to his potentials but yeah, yeah uh, Crispin uh, and his girlfriend Erin it turns out that she's like a former student of his uh and so there just is this uncomfortableness this tension if the other family get together and then that doesn't last long because things turn bloody very quickly there's uh it's, it's a home invasion movie basically yeah and that that's not normally our thing but it, this is done like really kind of cleverly there it's it's gruesome like there's it's bloody for sure but it, it's got a sense of humor to it yeah it like a grim sense of humor to it uh it makes a good use of a recurring song uh the, the mm-hmm. dwight twilly band looking for some magic i think is the yes song? Okay. yeah it's used so well yeah to the point where like you cannot hear that song now and like after you watch the movie. the movie yeah you're like uh that is an unpleasant connotation <laughs> it's, it's a good song too it's yeah yeah um the same thing with one thing leads to another in uh, oh, house yeah, of the devil sure. like the the best usage of that song ever uh yeah very very good but uh yeah it's a home invasion movie there are these creepy uh animal killers mask yeah killers. animal mass killers that invade the house and are uh picking off the the family members and there's a little bit more to that that we can't go into for spoilery reasons will kind of go against our tendency to spoil the movies in, in with this episode i think one of the reasons why i like it so much is because of that kind of grim sense of humor that it has like uh erin is somebody who proves herself to be more than capable of dealing with these these menacing animal masked villains right and you uh, realize like her boyfriend didn't really know her all that well yeah like, didn't... and um there, there's uh, some homages to Home Alone, like a direct homage to Home Alone in at yeah. least one scene that I th- just like think is very funny. It's one of the reasons why why I like it. Yeah, as much as I do. So, um, yeah, you, you're next. That's I think one of my favorite more recent horror movies. Yeah, and an interesting <laughs> thread to the last two movies we talked about. 
So um, A.J. Bowen is the actor who plays Crispin. He's also in House of the Devil. Yep. And I didn't know this, but he was also in Creepshow 3. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's that's unfortunate for him. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, A.J. Bowen and, and Ty West, they're kind of like a, there's a, I guess like a loose. A loose kind of group, them and yeah, Adam Wingard. And Simon Barrett. Um, they all kind of run in the same circle, show up in each other's works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I think, is... Joe Swanberg. Yeah, Joe Swanberg. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that he's uh, a very nice guy in real life, but he just is so eminently punchable, like, in every role that he plays. (laughs) Like, in horror movies, at least, that we've seen. You just just want to punch his He's got to be, like, a super nice guy, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. I hope he is a super nice guy. I I sure hope so. Uh, But, uh... (laughs) Yeah, he, he inevitably plays these characters that you just want to punch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he plays it really, really well. Yeah. So. So, um, yeah, uh, horror movies. We like them. There, there you go. Horror movies, they good. They're, they're, that's our tagline. If we were doing a rainbow, like on Jesus and Mara, <laughs> that'd be it. Horror movies, they good? Question mark? <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Exclamation point. Yes. So... I think that's really all we had yeah. for this episode, this sort of episode. We'll get back to our regular routine in the next couple the next weeks, couple, possibly. Yeah. This, this next episode, it's uh, one that is going to be uh, a weird one, a rough one. We kind of we, we violate our cardinal rule for yeah. for good reasons, but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. You uh, you will find out what we're talking about with that in a couple of weeks, and in, until then. Catch you later, later, potato potato hags. hags.